1: Welcome to Betting Weekly Game, Bet Match, the tennis betting podcast, brought to you in association with Bet Rivers, your hometown sports book. I'm Rory Giovanni, filling in for Nigel Seeley, who's in Dubai for the ATP 500 tournament. But the more important part of our Wednesday podcast offering is here, and that's former world number four, James Blake. How are you, James?
0: Good, thanks. Thanks for having me. Thanks for doing this. Thanks for filling in for Nigel. <laughs> Not a problem. Always a
1: pleasure. And uh, yeah, let's let's crack on, shall we? Uh, there's a, a strange story, slightly strange start. There's a bit of a controversy at the moment, in, particularly in the men's game, surrounding the Dunlop balls that they're using. And, and Daniel Medvedev claimed that they've been causing injuries uh, at the Australian Open and since due to the way they fluff up so quickly and lose their bounce. What do you think of this issue? Is this something you ever experienced in your career?
0: Well, I think that it's it's always going to be an issue with tennis players with the fact that there's different types of balls, whether one's better or worse, or it's tough to say, but um they're they're gonna be different. And when players get so used to something and you're you're hitting millions of balls, you're hitting them over and over and over again so when you switch from something that your your sort of muscle memory has gotten used to there's going to be issues for me it was more going onto the clay uh, going onto the clay they would use some slightly heavier balls and points are lasting a little bit longer and you're hitting a few more kicksers and i would feel it in my arm my shoulder and everything and so i think what happened um down in australia is the balls were fluffing up a little quicker but i i also think it had a lot to do with the weather the weather there was so extreme it would go from crazy hot to those colder days so um You know, I I think that had a lot to do with it. And I spoke to the people at Dunlop actually. um, And they said the balls are the same as they were last year. Exact same, went through the same process. Um, So it wasn't that it was the fact that they're going to be affected. I mean, they're, they're two ounces, they're filled with air, there's going to be a, uh, they're going to have an effect um, from huge changes in weather. And I think that's been the case. And you know, injuries are going to, they're going to come, they're going to go. Um, uh, And it's, it's going to happen. Maybe there's a few more right now than there have been in the past, but I wouldn't put it on the balls. I just think that's, there's certain things that are kind of go-tos for a lot of players to to talk about or think about the balls are one, the surface is another, you know, you have a, a little bit of a slump. It's the coach's fault or it's the strings. Something needs to be changed. So, you know, the balls right now is what um What's the the topic du jour? I guess for 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 putting the blame on, but I I don't think anything will change. I think the dumb up balls are great, just the same as some of the other uh, ball companies out there. Uh, I'm sure the balls are are as quality controlled as can be. Absolutely, and uh, I think John McEnroe said during the
1: Australian Open, it's something that players always need something to complain about, and. And that- and he's
0: the expert on knowing that. As for certain.
1: <laughs> <laughs> he certainly is. Um, speaking of Medvedev, um, the Russian made it back-to-back tournament victories in Qatar at the yeah. weekend. Um, do you see that he's sort of back to his best? He had a bit of a, a quiet spell.
0: Yeah, and I think it was all about the mentality. I mean, he did have the injury where he had, I believe, the her- uh, hernia surgery, but he. Um, you know, he was so close. If he had uh if he had held on that that final against Rafa Nadal in, in Australia uh a year ago, I think he would have been somewhat anointed the best hardcore player in the world and um and pretty dominant at that point. That that loss though, that one loss, I really think took a hit to his confidence and and made him question a little bit whether he would close out those kind of titles and now to win back-to-back titles, I think he is uh, back on the right track. You get that winning feeling. Granted, it wasn't a grand slam. Um, they're still big events. And to know that you can close those out is going to go a long way for getting that confidence back where he is. Um, you know the talent's there. I mean, he's got one of the bigger serves. He moves exceptionally well. He's got a pretty unique style. Um, and I think um, that's all there. So now that the confidence is rolling, I would definitely look for him on the hard courts. Um, I still don't know if he'll ever be – um a, a huge threat on the clay or even really on the grass but on the hard courts um he's back to being one of the contenders for any uh any tournament grand slam or or master series uh out there probably would have got quite long odds
1: on his final opponent being andy murray <laughs> metal hip and all Definitely. i mean i mean it's it's incredible i, I obviously he, he couldn't take the title but but what at his this stage in his career i mean
0: what do you make of him at the moment you know he's incredible um he was always one of the hardest workers out on tour um i think that part was part of the contribution to his hip basically wearing down um was the the effort he put in the gym on the track and on the court um and he just had that that love of the game and that love of improvement and getting better and you see it now i mean he has nothing to prove his his career is going to end in uh, in newport he's going to go down as one as the all-time greats he is that that one that was kind of just right on the the precipice of being part of that that group of the all-time greats and he's just off he was just off that but still getting to number 1 in the world during that era is incredible um you know how many slams slam finals he got to and lost to novak and lost to roger i mean he was He's an unbelievable competitor, a great guy, uh, really, really class act off the court. So um, what you're seeing now is even more uh, example of his love of the game because he's got nothing to prove and he's out there still playing. He's probably never going to win another Grand Slam. He's probably never going to win another Masters 1000, but he's out there competing and he's in the top. I mean, he's he's in the top echelon of the world. I mean, to be top 50 in the world um, at his age um, with a metal hip, it speaks to the fact that he's put in a lot of hours now and he's loving it. And I mean, you can joke with him, but maybe it's, maybe he just wants to be on the road and out out training. Cause he's got four kids under, under the age of six at home. <laughs> and maybe it's, it's the only way he gets to sleep is when he's in hotels. <laughs> but um, I, I do think he just loves the game and, and wants to get as much as he can out of it. And, you know, I had a goal when I was on tour that when I put my rackets down, I have no regrets. I did all that I could and got the most out of my ability. I think he's got that similar one, whether he's he's vocalized it or not. He just wants to get the most out of it and do what he can and have no regrets. When he's, I have a feeling for me, when Andy Murray's fifty years old, sixty years old, if he's not still playing, which <laughs> um, I won't put past him right now, but if he's not on tour anymore, whenever whenever he's done. He's not going to regret a thing. He did everything. He left it all out there. And that's um that's that's what you want out of your career. No matter, you know, your, your skill level and your talent may dictate where your ranking ended up or where your uh you know what you got in your trophy case or in your bank account. But um the peace of mind and the happiness, I think, really goes to just getting the most out of your career. Yeah, I think he's he's definitely a an example of
1: someone who's who's made the most of his talent um yeah. victory for another britain actually in rio Cam nori defeating carlos alcaraz in the final there um, the spaniard now injured again i think it's a like hamstring injury this time is it a bit of a worry i mean he, i think he's i think he's 20 now isn't he but yeah it's a is it a bit, a bit of a worry that he's picking up so many injuries so
0: early in his career I think it's, um, you can look at it both ways. I think it's definitely a worry um, with the fact that he's having these injuries. But I also think um, the one thing you can try to look at as a positive is that he is trying to be proactive about handling them. And I think that's, um, his team is great. Juan Carlos Ferraro, um, and all the people around him, uh, I think are doing a good job of trying to protect him. So this one, getting back onto the hard courts, he wants to protect that hamstring. He wants to do everything he can. So um it's a luxury that probably a lot of 20 year olds, 19 year olds, uh, 21 year olds don't have of the ranking of already being top three in the world um, and having gotten to number one in the world um, where you don't need to just keep playing and playing and playing just to get points, just to try to get your ranking where it should be. He's already in that spot where he's, he's more just protecting. And I think for his team to to value that and understand it from an early, early stage will hopefully help and prevent these types of injuries you know, it's not this hamstring injury isn't one of those ones. It's a catastrophic injury that, you know, he's not needing a, you know knee surgery or shoulder surgery or elbow surgery or something where it's going to really put him back, set him back and cause problems later. You hope this is something that's just, you know, a little tweak and it, it'll be protected. And then he's always aware of the fact that just taking a week off and then it's right back to being um, full speed ahead. I mean, the first tournament back, he came out and won it. And so, you know, that's something where he came back ready. He, he didn't come back just to kind of ease his way in. Um, I do think it helped that it was on clay. Um, and so I think it's, it's, it's something that we'll be watching and concerned with, but I'm hoping, um, being a little bit of an optimist that this is more of a preventative thing and that it's, it's to prevent, uh, any injury from happening after two weeks on clay. quick transition to hard courts whether or not it was going to really start things up and get that hamstring tweaked again that okay let's protect and be ready for Indian Wells in Miami where we know he's going to have a lot of points to defend and also um, pretty grueling four weeks of um, of hard court tennis so um, I'm hoping it's it's preventative in that way and that he's really being smart about it at a very young age.
1: Yeah speaking of players who've got ranking points to defend in the coming weeks taylor fritz he's up mm-hmm. to number five in the world first yep. american man to reach at top five in in a long time yep. um we had tommy paul and, and ben shelton going deep at the australian open mm-hmm. um on the women's side jessica pegula is in top five yep. coco golf number six it feels like it's a it's a good time for american tennis right now yeah
0: yeah, um definitely a great time. Um it's um it's really exciting. I mean, we've had some some decent players um the last uh, last few years, but the, all of them keep hearing, you know, Andy Roddick the last one to grand, win a Grand Slam, when's that going to happen? Uh 2007 the last time we won the Davis Cup, when's that going to happen? So, I think they're all chomping at the bit to get um back to that, you know, sort of greatness of uh American men's tennis and now with i believe it's 11 in the top 50 um they're they're proving that this this generation has got a lot of talent a lot of ability and they're feeding off of each other um i think seeing taylor in the top 5 is amazing francis in the top 20 guys getting to semis and quarters of grand slams now and um taylor winning a master series and you know you got one of the biggest um talents that's been sidelined with injury and in riley opelka that if he comes back uh healthy um, how how much damage he can do. I think it's a, it's a great time. And for Taylor, it's going to be really interesting coming back and defending that title at Indian Wells because, you know, he's gotten now to the top 10 and now even to the top five. And um, for me, once you got there, you wanted to stay there. And you feel like, all right, you've got this mentality. You're in the top 10. You belong there. You deserve it. You know, sometimes people get there and feel like they don't deserve it and drop out really quickly, and it takes them a long time to get back or they never get back. But if you get there and you feel like you belong, you want to stay. And I think Taylor's got that mentality, Um, but it's going to be interesting to see how he handles it because so many points are coming off at Indian Wells. And you know the, the talent level right now in men's tennis is so deep that he could play in the second or third round. He could come up against someone just playing their best match, and and it could be the end for him in that tournament. You know you, you favor him against most of those guys in the early rounds, but still it's not a it's not a guarantee. So if he happens to falter a little, feel the pressure just that little bit, and drop. That's gonna that could drop him just about out of the top ten. And we'll see what kind of hunger there is then to get back into the top 10 or how he's feeling at that stage. So this, um, these next, I'd say four weeks for Taylor are going to be really interesting. I think uh, winning Delray beach was big for him because that gives him a little padding, you know, that gives him a little bit like, okay, I I at least got that 250 points. So I'm not, even if the thousand comes off, I I at least put on a little bit. So I'm not going to drop the whole way off. And, um, and those, those points aren't going to come off for a whole nother year now. So I think that was big for him, uh, maybe take a little bit of the pressure off. But I'm really excited and interested to see how he handles the pressure of Indian Wells coming back as the defending champion.
1: Absolutely. It's a new situation for him, I guess, being one of the the big names. But I suppose yeah. you're looking at Djokovic, obviously, back on number one. Mm-hmm. Alcaraz, injury doubts. Then you've got the people like Tsitsipas, Sverev, who's coming back from injury. Even Yannick Sinner, you know, kind of these guys who are sort of there, thereabouts, but they haven't really been able to make that jump to, you know, winning slams, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you think Taylor Fritz is is capable of, of I mean, are, are, we, are we just waiting for Djokovic to retire? Or, you know, is, is Fritz <laughs> capable now of, of winning slams, do you think?
0: I think it's um, it's still a little bit in the in the hands and in the grasp of Novak. I mean, the way he played in Australia um the way he's capable of playing right now seems like to me that slight level above where the rest of the the field is and so if he's playing his best um he's healthy um i think we're going to see more events like we saw in australia where it's who can get a set off of him who can uh who can push him to a tie break who's um who's got the best chance to to disrupt him at all and at the australian it, it wasn't much there there weren't many people that that had that possibility so Look, I think Taylor, similar to a lot of those guys in that that um, that next group that have a chance. You know, if all it takes is one one day of faltering out of Novak, and then there's a bunch of guys that I do think have the capability, and Taylor is one of them. You know, you got Taylor, you got Sitsipas, you got uh, Medvedev, you got a lot of these guys that Kenwin Alcaraz, obviously, you know, hopefully some of the Americans soon with Tiapo, Ben Shelton, um, Tommy Paul. Hopefully they're in there, but. Right now, I would only put probably Taylor in there as uh, as a real uh, opportunity to win a Grand Slam, say, this year or next year. Maybe Francis with an outside shot, Ben Shelton. We're looking to see how much he can really advance in the next couple of years because he's still pretty raw. Um, but that serve is one of the biggest in the game. So that's got a, a big upside. Um, so, I mean, Taylor's in there. And, and I think these next four weeks are going to have um, are going to tell us a lot about his mentality. And I've always said, even when he came on tour at about 17, 18, 19 years old, I felt like he was uh, more mature than his years. And I felt like he had a lot of the intangibles. So I think it's going to be interesting to see these next couple of weeks. And I think he's going to come out of it stronger and better and mentally tougher. Um, And then I do think he'll be one of those guys in the, you know, five to eight um, guys that really have a chance, given the caveat, Novak has to falter for that, for them to have a chance, I think, um, of winning slams this year.
1: Yeah, so next week, as we discussed, first leg of that sunshine double, Indian Wells and, and Miami. And, and then we're pretty quickly into the clay court season. So, mm-hmm. I mean, you reached the final at Indian Wells in 2006. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you get this feeling as a player that this is the time of the season when things really kind of they kind of ramp up? And, and did you kind of feel like you had to take a break before this part of the season to sort of prepare yourself, maybe physically, mentally? Because it sounds like, there's a lot of big tournaments coming up.
0: Yeah, um, so it's different. I think depending a little bit on the type of player you are. For me, I was much more successful on the hard courts, so I love this time uh, of year. And it was also it wasn't necessarily a time to to just kind of ease my way in. There was back then. There was San Jose, Memphis, um, Las Vegas, or Scottsdale, um, all before Indian Wells in Miami. And for me, those events and that these weeks were my real opportunity to put points on because I love playing in Indian Wells. I love playing out in Scottsdale or Vegas. Um, I love playing in Memphis. I love playing um, in my in, in Miami. And th- all of those events were my chance to do well because I felt like each one of them, I had um, a good game to play on those surfaces, to play um, on the hard courts, and maybe in a little bit of altitude um, with the balls flying in Indian Wells and then dealing with the heat and the um, the conditions in Miami as well. I felt good at all of those so for me it was hey, this is this is my time because I might have <laughs> um unfortunately too much time on my hands during the clay court season where I can practice and work because I'm not going to be in those events um in at the later stages a lot of times so I felt like this was my um my sort of season of hopefully putting on a lot of points and getting um getting a lot of progress uh made and so Indian Wells and in Miami for me that sunshine double was was a really exciting time but I also recognized that there were some of those those guys that were real clay quarters that were that were looking for this as uh, as just like the precursor to the clay courts, he's like, Oh, it almost seemed like a bonus for some of them, you know. The guy, some of the Spani- Spanish players or French players that were uh more successful on the clay. Every match they won at Indian Wells or Miami was like, Oh, I get to stay for an extra day. Okay, this is great, but it's really just getting over to Monte Carlo to be ready for that one. So um, it's a di- it's you know it's different. That's why it's so amazing and and um, fun to watch with the different personalities and different game styles and what's um, what's more important for each player. I, I guess one thing that's
1: kind of changed, perhaps a little bit, since you were in, at your peak, is that I don't know. It seems to me that the sort of the slower hard courts and the type of player that succeeds there. Is also the same type of player that now succeeds on clay. You know, you don't really have the clay court specialists you had in the past. Um, they're all more sort of all court players, like Tsitsipas and Zverev, equally yeah. adept on the hard courts and the clay. So, I guess now this stretch coming up, you can't—they can't really sort of favour the hard court, the Sunshine Double, over the, the the clay court coming up, going into the French.
0: Yeah, and I, it's something that I. I would say I don't love as much about the way the game has changed is that the the courts in general have become homogenized. Um, there's not a huge difference between playing at Indian Wells or playing at Roland Garros or playing really at, at Wimbledon or playing at the U.S. Open. There, there's very little um, gap, whereas you used to see players that would play at the French and have zero chance of success at the French. And then they'd go to Wimbledon and they'd be a favorite or vice versa. You know, you, I, I remember seeing... Some of the the Spanish players, the the clay court specialists, showing up at Wimbledon. My first year there, I believe it was two, year two thousand. They would show up there with their bags packed. They're they're in the locker room ready to go, leaving you know at the first round. They're they're picking up a paycheck and going because they had no chance on the grass because it was so lightning fast. And they've got these extreme grips, and they're not gonna and they're they they still have clay on their shoes. They're not gonna they're not ready to play on the grass. And and now those players are are playing from the baseline and winning matches at, at Wimbledon. So it's. It's really changed and it's become so much more, um, you know, there's not nearly the variations. And um, so what it does is it makes for great rivalries because the best player in the world a lot of times can now be the best player in the world on every surface. Whereas back then, you know, when I was first coming up, Pete Sampras was the best player in the world. He was number one, but he was not a favorite to win the French Open by any stretch. He was barely a favorite to make the second week of the French Open because it was such a different style of play. And so I, I actually liked that because I loved seeing how is Pete going to adjust his game and adapt his game? How is Tim Henman going to make the semis of, of the French open because he had to do that. And that's, that's, you know, that was really great and fun to see. Um, and now it's, you know what, you can play pretty much the same game with tiny, tiny tweaks um, to, to switch from Indian Wells to Monte Carlo. Um, and for me, there was during my career, there was a pretty big difference. When I went over to Monte Carlo, um, I only played it a few times and I've realized why I didn't play it because the first time I played, I think I played Al Costa first round and he made me look silly. I mean, I I think I fell down four times when he hit drop shots and I was completely flat footed and just went over. Um, so I was not ready with the the movement on the clay and, um, there's a pretty big difference. And now I feel like the movers that are good movers on clay are also good movers on hard. And it's, um, it's become that you can be great on both and you don't have to really adjust your game style that much. So you're right. The players that are the big names that are good on the slow hard courts um, right now, this is a huge time because there's so many big events coming up between uh, from Acapulco to anywells to Miami, to Monte Carlo, then you get into Madrid and Rome and uh, there's just a, a ton of big events coming up between now and the French open.
1: Absolutely. No, I agree with you on the, I mean, I, I was a big fan of, as a Brit. You know, Wimbledon used to love bit of serve volley, and and I, I still maintain that Henman's greatest achievement was reaching the semis at Roland Garros playing and, serve volley, and he should yeah. have made the final as well. I mean, it yeah. was it was an incredible yeah. achievement.
0: That was um, incredible. I mean, he's uh, he's he's a pretty special talent. So I'm, uh, yeah, and a great guy. So happy happy he had that success, and I agree that might have been his greatest uh, greatest success was getting to the semis <laughs> of, of the French Open back the way the French Open was then. Absolutely.
1: Um, let's touch on the women's game for a bit. I mentioned Jessica Pegula. Um, mm-hmm. She actually became the first American to reach five consecutive hardcore WTA 1000 quarterfinals since 2009 in Dubai. But she fell in the semifinals to Barbora Krajikova, who then stunned Iga Sviontek in the final. And I mean, we thought Sviontek was in a league of her own going into that final but i mean what did you make of that final what did you make of that tournament
0: you know i think it's it may be a blessing for iga sienec to have lost that uh, i mean you don't want to you don't want to think of that think of it that way and i'm sure at the time she didn't want to think of it but i know she said basically look i'm human it's going to happen and and i think people need to realize that because they're looking for someone that dominant. After she won 37 matches in a row last year, then why is it she's just going to keep doing that again? She's just going to keep rolling. She's that much better. And this narrative that the rest of the tour isn't as good, isn't up to it's, it's No, she's she's dominant because she's that good. She's playing that well at times. and But she is human. She is going to have an off day. And she's not invincible. She's a favorite. And that doesn't mean that she can't lose because Kurjikov is a great player who's had injury and illness struggles for the last year or two. Um, but when she's playing well, I mean, back a few years ago, um, she was as dominant. Um, she was winning uh, grand slam in singles and winning slams in doubles, and you know, she was showing how versatile she was. So um she's obviously a great player and fearless. So she went out and played a great match and beat beat Iga and um for iga maybe it will lessen the expectations and make people realize look you can be dominant without winning every single match um you know we've maybe been spoiled in this generation of novak roger rafa serena where you feel like the heroes are going to win every single match and they've won such a high percentage that it seems like they're winning every match and it's creating these rivalries of novak rafa rafa roger um, those kind of those kind of uh, scenarios, and for Iga, she didn't have a she doesn't have a real rival. Um, she's got the whole field. It's it's a lot of times it's Iga or the field, and um, so now maybe this will lessen the the expectation a tiny bit, um, depending on how she does between now and the French Open. But I was actually thinking that if she goes on another one of those streaks and just wins a whole bunch in a row, you know, it's just going to ramp up the pressure more and more and more that. You know, every time she steps on the court, because think about if you if you win 30 matches in a row, then you go to a Grand Slam and you happen to lose in the quarterfinals. You're a complete failure. Uh, uh, It doesn't seem fair sometimes, but that's just the nature of the beast, the nature of the game that we're that we're in and um, and people's perception of you have to win in Grand Slams or else you're a failure. And for her, I hope she doesn't ever feel that way because she's done so much already um to show her uh her greatness and her legacy but um I'm thinking I'm hoping you know trying to be optimistic again that it's a blessing in disguise that you know she lost the match and people will realize that okay she's not gonna win every match she has to focus um really hard and and be at her best to win to win these kind of big titles absolutely um just going back to Jessica Pegula
1: um Mm. you know she's top five three in the world Um, Coco Goff, number six. So American women's tennis in in a good state. But Pegula, I I didn't realise this. I think she turned 29 last week. So she's definitely a real late developer. Um, Yeah. But I think I was looking at, you know, the Australian Open was perhaps her best chance so far of winning a slam. Yeah. Now, I mean, we saw Sabalenka win that. It's, it's time. It feels ridiculous because she hasn't really been at that level for very long,
0: but it's time running out for her to win a slam. It's tough to say because you're right. She's 29 now. So you would think that's later in, in a player's career. But she was such a steady and sl- somewhat slow and steady riser um, that I don't feel like she even... I'm not sure she's at her peak yet. Um, she's gotten to um, what has seemed to be her peak the last year or two, and that's pretty late for. I mean, you look at Coco Golf, 18 and 18 years old, and and already top 10 in the world. That's more. I wouldn't say what Coco is doing is typical, but it's more the story you see of superstars of top five players is that they had a lot of success from when they're 18, 19, 20 years old. Um and for Pagula, it was a different, um, a different path. And I also think that's um that's what's special about our sport is that there's no one way to glory. There's no one way to get, to reach your peak. And for her, it took a while. Um, and she's coming into her own. I think she's doing a great job with David Witt and at always looking to improve. Um and so I don't think she's, I, I hope that's not her, her best chance. It was a great chance. Yeah. But I think every, every slam um, this year and next year, I think she really has a, that fighting chance as well, as long as she stays healthy. Um, to say she'll still have a chance when she's 32, 33, even though that's, you know, that's, that's younger than it was back when I was playing. Cause a lot of people were retiring by that age when I was playing, but um, it's still unlikely that people are, continuing to get better at 32 33 34 years old but for her you know who's to say that she can't she can't figure that out but i would say these next two years are, are when she's um hopefully going to be at her best and really have the opportunity to win a slam so i'm i mean I, I look at her and say u.s open 2023 um you know that that to me is is probably pagula's uh, best uh, one of her best chances hopefully
1: Let's hope she has a big run there. Um, the yeah. women taking something of a break before Indian Wells. The men have got this ATP 500 in Dubai. Djokovic making his first appearance since winning Australian Open title number 10, which even now just sounds ridiculous saying it, that he's won 10 Australian <laughs> Open titles. Uh, Medvedev's there, Andre Rublev, Felix auger Aliassim there. Any thoughts on, on how you see that tournament going?
0: um yeah i mean again it's 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 no back no gonna <laughs> <laughs> um you know, I think he's so he's so dangerous when he's playing well he had a he had a scare in the first round, um yeah. six and the third um but then he he kind of um righted the ship and was great in the second round, and um, I don't know, we'll see, but I, I think. Um, Medvedev is dangerous. So I'd love to see those two, um, against each other, um, because of the the way Medvedev beat Novak in that finals of the U S open when, when Novak was going for the, the calendar slam and, um, the way Medvedev was playing on hard courts was, was unique and possibly intriguing in terms of a matchup, um, with Novak. But, um, I still feel like if Novak's playing the way we know he can, it's, it's, it's in his hands, uh, this week as well. Great. Well, thank you, James.
1: Um, It's been a pleasure talking to you and hearing your unique perspective on both the ATPN and WTA tours. And uh, you'll be back next week, I hope. Yep. Absolutely. Probably with Nigel. (laughs) Yeah,
0: thank you, Maureen. I appreciate it. This is fun.
1: Great. Thank you, James. And thank you for watching and listening. You can download us on whichever podcast service provider you use and follow us on the Bet Rivers Network on YouTube. Like, subscribe, comment on anything you've enjoyed from our shows. All sorts of offerings there. Tennis, soccer, US sports. There's a special Danny Mac podcast after Patrick Kane joined the New York Rangers. All kinds of everything there for you to get your teeth into. That's it from Game Bet Match. Good luck. If you're having a bet and enjoy the rest of your week.
0: Thanks for listening to betting weekly game bet match on the bet rivers network.